So we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, 16 to 25. Going to talk about the garden, Garden of Eden. Uh, we lived in Africa for seven years, and our second town where we lived had this incredible garden, uh, wonderful trees, mango trees. Seven, uh, seven mango trees and other things. Uh, had a tire swing for the kids. And um, it was fantastic. Kids loved playing there. One day, though, um, Isaac, he was four, I think, and he found these highly, uh, brightly colored caterpillars. And he was really excited by them. He had this little mate called David. And David says, don't touch those. Uh, uh, Isaac, uh, but Isaac, he wanted to touch him anyway. And in fact, he went and got my hat and put them all inside my hat and collected them. Uh, within about 20 minutes, he was screaming. Um, we entered out the caterpillars. I put the hat on suddenly. And, um, and I started having this incredible pain as well. In fact, these caterpillars were hugely toxic. The little... Um, bristles, hairs of the caterpillars, and I hardly slept that night. That's how painful, just having those, those hairs inside my hat, and Isaac screamed for about two hours. Um, so that was our garden. This, uh, mostly it was good. <laughs> Let's read this garden, Genesis 2, 16-25. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So, all goods in the garden. It's all good in the garden. You know, in, in this first part of Genesis, that, that word good gets a real hammering. Everything seems to be good. Good, 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 good. God says, it's good. Makes uh, six day very good. Except uh, verse 18. Not good. One thing is not good. Not good for man to be alone. The one and only not good. Everything else is goods. This aloneness is highlighted because everything else is so amazingly good. God brings animals to the man. He names them, but they are not suitable helpers for the man Adam. God puts the man, 
into a deep sleep, and then he takes one of man's uh, sealers, it's called in, in the original language, and mostly it's interpreted as rib, but all, at other times in the Bible it also means side, so whatever you, it is, rib or side, God does that. And from that, he makes woman. So there's this, this incredible deep connection at last between the man and woman. In fact, the man says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this is a term that the Hebrews used, the way we we say in English, uh, flesh and blood. They would say uh, flesh and bone. For instance, uh, 2 Samuel 5.1. At a time of civil war, David says, he says, no, uh, we don't want to fight because we are flesh and bone. We're the same. So, the garden. The place, it's good. It's good, the garden. Verse 15. Man is put to work, but it's not bothersome for him. It's not toil, it's not slavery, it's, it's all good. Lots of trees. And, and God gives man open slather in all the garden. You can eat of any tree. Heaps of trees. Great, huge, widespread permission. Uh, he says, uh, It's good to eat. Uh, you can eat uh, any of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So it's widespread permission Except verse 17, there's one little prohibition. Widespread permission, one little prohibition. That tree there, that'll kill you. That'll kill you. Stay away from that. Leave those caterpillars alone. (laughs) Very bright. Uh, Stay away from that tree. That'll kill you. You will die indeed. The garden is good. It's all good in the garden. Heaps of permission, one little prohibition. And you know what? Even God's prohibition is good. It's there for a reason. God's vast permission is good. God is generous. You can eat any of those fruit from there. Anything, but not that one. Go for it. God's, But God's Prohibition is good too. Leave that tree alone, that will lead to death. It's enticing, it's bright, maybe. But don't touch it. And Adam and Eve ended up touching it and led to death. You know, if, if you get a prohibition from God, listen to it. It's not that he's been mean, it's that he actually cares about you. Even his prohibitions are good. It's not a sign of God's badness, it's a sign of his goodness. Shah's grandma, on her dad's side, um, I mean, she had uh, the kids, they say what she'd do, around the oven, she'd say, don't touch, and don't go near, and uh, go near. And what she'd do, she'd grab the hand and turn it over to that side and put the finger on the hot oven, and they never touched it again. (laughs) 
my grandfather on my mum's side, he had a farm. And what, I remember one time as a little boy, uh, we, there were four of us, four boys, we were out on the farm. And we were walking on the farm, and Pops, uh, my younger brother Shane, Pops says to Shane, he is um, teasing a, a bull in the paddock. And he says, don't tease a bull, he'll chase you. And he kept teasing, don't, don't tease that bull, he'll chase you. And he kept teasing, and he teased the bull, and it chased him. <laughs> and he screamed all the way back to the, the farmhouse. You know, if God says something to leave something alone, if it's a prohibition, leave it alone. Because he's a good God, he's generous, and he cares about you. Even the prohibitions are an example, uh, uh, a part of God's goodness. It's all good in the garden. The population of the garden is all good. Relationship with the animals is good. God creates them out of dust, like the man, and brings them to the man. Man names them. There's cooperation between God and, and man and the animals, not exploitation. And the relationship with God is good, verse 19 and 20. There's trusts. God brings the animals to man. Whatever man wanted to call the animals, he called them. That was good with God. That's what they were. Um, the garden is not a place of toil for man. It's a place of worship and relationship. It's like the prototype of the first temple. And that's what oh, that fantastic sermon from last week of Malcolm's. If you haven't heard that, listen online. The, the, the place of like the very first temple. Good in the garden. Man's relationship to himself was good. Verse 25, they were naked but felt no shame. Self-secure, no problem there, content. All good in the garden. Man's relationship to woman is good. Verse 23, 25, God makes her from his side or rib, brings it to the man. It's like a it's like a, a wedding ceremony. As a father brings a bride down the aisle, God brings a woman. Man's relationship to woman is good. Sexuality is good. Just want to smash uh, three common misconceptions here. There is no apple in the garden. <laughs> There's no apple mentioned. Um, fruit, yes, and all those pictures of luscious apples being eaten by a really curvy uh, Eve, not biblical. There was fruit in the garden. There's no mention of the apple that we know about. Misconception number two. There was sex in the garden before the snake turned up. Sex was not Satan's idea, it was God's idea. Satan does not create. Satan does not create. He desecrates. He contaminates. He breaks. He deforms. He warps. Sex was God's idea, not Satan's, not the snake. God gave woman to man and they became one flesh. In other words, sex. Number three, sex is not just for making babies. 
the original reason for creation of woman was companionship, not babies. It was not good for man to be alone. Sexuality is good. Marriage is good. Verse 24. Lynches, 10 years of marriage. Way to go, you guys. Woo. Marriage is good. Even with twins. <laughs> Not only good, but weighty. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. No konei te tangata ka whakarere i tona papa me tona whaia a ka piri. Joy, ki tana wahine a hei kiko kiko kotahi rawa, to become one flesh. One man, one woman, one flesh. Not multiple women, or variations of that, but one man, one woman. That's the pattern. That was God's original design and pattern. Marriage is good. A God-ordained joining. In other words, covenant. Covenant. And the, the Hebrew word, the original word is berit, and that's the same word that is used in the Bible for treaties. Marriage and treaties, same word is used, berit. Because it's, it's a weighty thing. It's an important thing. When, when two nations or peoples uh, and, and God um, is together in that and they make a treaty, we're not going to fight anymore. We're not going to try and exterminate you anymore. That's a heavy thing. And, and that's you know, one of the reasons, I believe, the Treaty of Waitangi is a heavy thing because the missionaries were so involved God's involved, and, and, and there's so much of a, a faith aspect. It's a, it's a weighty thing. It's not a light thing. And marriage is not a light thing. It's a weighty thing. And that is the way that Jesus sees it in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 is discussion on divorce with Jesus at the time of Jesus, A.D. 1. First century. The background is this. Question was asked by the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the time of Jesus. Do you back, here's a question, do you back Moses' permission of divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 to 4? Deuteronomy 24. Jesus, so do you back what Moses said that you can divorce your wife easily? And there were different uh, rabbinic schools that interpreted Deuteronomy 24 in different ways. For instance, Rabbi Hillel and his followers, their interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 was this, that if the wife displeased uh, the husband, the husband could divorce the wife for that because she was displeasing. Rabbi Akiba, also at the time of Jesus and his followers, uh, said that if a husband fancied someone younger, the husband could sign a bit of paper in front of a witness and in that way divorce his wife. Another rabbi, Shammai, he had much stricter 
criteria at the time of Jesus. So the question came to Jesus, Matthew 19, where do you stand on this, on this issue of divorce? And this is Jesus' answer, Matthew 19. He says, Moses wrote that because of your hard hearts. But God's original intention is not shown in Deuteronomy 24. It's shown back in the garden, Genesis 2. God's original intention was this, that there be one man, one woman, in a covenant relationship. It's weighty. It's not lightweight. You don't just push away your wife like that because you fancy someone else and she burns your dinner. No, no, marriage, <laughs> marriage is a weighty thing. Marriage is good. It was all good. It was all good in the garden. You know what? It's very possible to make a mess of the garden. Mess in the garden. Uh, I'll talk about my mess next week. But my neighbor's mess. <laughs> my neighbor, he, um, he is doing something in his front yard and he put on a product. It was the wrong product. He killed his entire front yard with the wrong product on his grass. Killed it all. You know, and we can make a mess in the garden. That is possible. We're going to see that next week. The mess that was made in the garden. But, you know, God is good at cleaning up messes. And that, this is our faith, isn't it? That Jesus came to clean up our mess. 1 John, the book of uh, 1 John, the letter of John, chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9, the next verse. But if we confess, confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll clean up our garden and he will uh, accept us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Can we have our, our worship team back again? We'll play one of those songs. Eh? Let's stand up, everyone. And um, let's take a, as they come up, Let's, let's take a little time now. And um, it's so good to be able to, to confess our sins, you know, to be able to say we've made a mess of the garden. And, um, you know, you may not have ever done that before. You might have just still actually be in rebellion and saying, I'm going to look after this garden all by myself. And if I make a mess of it, I don't care. But um, what, what, God gives us this opportunity is to confess our sins. Confess our sins. And he's faithful and just, and he'll take that away from us. So um, let's just pray. Have a quiet time, and then I'll pray for us. We'd love to pray with anyone here. You know, if you're in a, you got trouble, any sort of trouble, or if you're, um, health issues, or getting hammered by the enemy, people would love to pray for you.